0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Father, we thank you that you have sent to us one so strong and kind. We're able to sing of him and sing what's What's true in such simple words that he invites us to come and fundamentally when we wouldn't, he came and sought us, saved us, brought us to his side, and then walks before us, leading us. Thank you for Jesus. Will you help us this morning now to understand something else of him, what he's like and will you, in showing us what he's like and what he's like towards us, will you make us like that, make us Christ-like in our character? Will you use us then? Will you, will you kind of lay this at a, at a foundational level, lay this in our lives, and then and then use us in your mission of representing him and speaking of him to the world? Lord, that's, that's my prayer, beginning with this morning on towards the next several weeks. Will you... Will you make us like him and will you use us for him? So open the word here. Teach us, we pray, and have your way with shaping this church. Thank you, Lord. We trust it to you. Amen. Perhaps you've heard of the condition known as compassion fatigue. Read about that anywhere. I looked it up on WebMD. Everybody's favorite. You look there, and it's a condition that's classified as a formal ailment, a sense of personal fatigue that may affect professional caregivers as they deal compassionately with the trauma of others. Compassion-caused fatigue in the caregiver. Okay. Well, that being said... That formal definition aside, there's there's another way, I think a much less technical way that that phrase is usually used, and a lot of us are going to experience this compassion fatigue coming up here soon as we get towards the end of the year. Various secular charities and Christian ministries are are going to begin to ask us for additional end of year giving, right? You know what I'm talking about, we are about to get barraged with flyers, mailers, internet, TV, radio ads, etc., and all of them are gonna be painting vivid pictures for us of some sort of tragedy, some sort of hardship, some sort of, of trauma, some situation, all across the world, and you're going to be asked to care deeply about and serve or give your time, your resources, to all of that. All kinds of stuff, not just here in the neighborhood where you live, your neighbors, but spread the circle out even to the ends of the earth. All kinds of things that previous generations would not even have heard about. Let alone been invited to own. Now that's all true. I mean, for the most part. Most of those flyers and emails, and they're going to be talking about things that are True. Most of them real hardships all around the world that have always been going on. The world has always been full of tragedy and shortage and wickedness. It's just now that it's, it, the modern age has kind of enabled that to be kind of thrust into your lap, put in your inbox, and made your responsibility. And it can be overwhelming. If you read it all and listen to it all, it can be overwhelming. Overwhelming. This compassion fatigue sets in that we are familiar with. And the way that most people deal with it is to just shut it out. And delete, 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 and the flyers go in the recycling. And we tune it out and move on from it because we just can't deal with it. It's, it's the background noise of life. It's always there. If you tune it back in for a moment, you realize, oh, it didn't go away. But you have to tune out because you, you, we can't deal with it. We're finite people. We tune it out and we become dulled to it and maybe even a little hardened. But Jesus is different. He never tunes it out. Jesus is different. And that's what brings us to our passage in Matthew 9 today where we see him different and see that he actually wants to make us different too. Not hardened to, not tuning out, but actually able to deal with in a way that is still appropriate for our finite natures. We aren't meant to carry everything. We aren't the Messiah. But we are meant to, and as Christ works in us, we'll be enabled to move towards and engage with some of this tragedy that's around us. Some of it that's, that's near in some way or another because we are meant to step into it to connect people to the one who is the Messiah, the one who came to give life. That's what we're about here today in this passage in, at the end of Matthew nine. So Jesus is about what he's gonna call us to be about, so that's what we're gonna look at today and really over the next several weeks because this passage at the end of Matthew nine is kind of a pivot passage in the book of Matthew. As we're going to see, verse 35 has a summary statement that is very, very similar to a summary statement in chapter 4, verse 23. If you were here back then, you, you may recall that summary statement came right after Jesus called the first of his disciples and said, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then we get this summary statement. And what followed was a whole bunch about what following him looks like. A whole bunch about discipleship, a whole bunch about the kingdom, about what what being a citizen of the kingdom looks like, about following the king looks like, a whole bunch chapters about follow. Now we get the summary statement again, and we're going to get, here's what it looks like to be fishers of men. The other half of that statement. We're going to change the analogy, what it looks like to be laborers in the harvest. That's starting now over the next bit. So that's where we're going here, beginning this morning and then in the next several weeks, what it looks like to be a laborer with and for the kingdom. So let me read Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38, and then we'll draw from it two observations. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew 9. So two observations, and here's the first. Jesus is full of ceaseless compassion for broken and lost people. Jesus is full of ceaseless compassion for broken and lost people. Verse 35, as I mentioned, is this summary statement that resembles what we saw back in chapter 4. And it's it's meant to be kind of a, here's what he was doing. Here's what he was about. All this stuff's all woven together. And what, what Matthew's trying to communicate to us is this is Jesus' practice. He went everywhere, all throughout, all the cities and villages of Galilee. You may recall from before when we talked about this. Galilee in the north of Israel was an area that geographically was just a little bit smaller than Utah and Salt Lake counties combined. So roughly the size of these two counties. a little bit smaller. And best guesses were that the population of the area was approximately what the population of the state of Utah is. So think of all of Utah and Salt Lake and Utah counties. And they lived there in over 200 identifiable cities and villages. So if Jesus went on from city to city, village to village, and hit two every day, not traveling on the Sabbath, it would take him four months to hit them all. If you look at that, and then also consider all the times that he was stopped you know, by the Sea of Galilee or along the road on the way between towns, the impression given to us by this every city and every town is that Jesus was really, really really busy not with paperwork with people lots and lots of people who all were troubled many of them had diseases and afflictions of various sorts and everything that came to him, everything that came to him we're told repeatedly, everything that came to him, indiscriminately he healed it while also constantly preaching about the kingdom and constantly teaching on the Sabbath in the synagogues, explaining himself and, and what the Bible says. And as he went on preaching and teaching, there'd be some people who would be intrigued and some people who questioned him and uh, some who opposed him and some who argued with him. And so there's a whole spectrum of, of personal interaction and diseases and afflictions and m- millions of people Town after town, town after town after town after town. Disease and afflicted, demon-possessed, really questioning and doubting, pointedly examining, intrigued and asking more, and diseased and afflicted constantly, day after day after day after day, month after month after month. A lot of us, that's our personal nightmare. Can you imagine? That was his life. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Compassion. The word rendered compassion there, it's a little bit tricky to put it into a single English word. Compassion works. As long as in our minds we have kind of these two things we hold together, we, we, we see it as certainly an emotion. There is a, a deep internal depth of concern. He's, he sees something and is, that's, oh. And then we also need to realize that it's not just an emotion, that this compassion, if, if it's real, what it is, is it's a, it's a feeling, it's a deep concern that then moves one towards action. So we've got to hold both of those ideas, and if that's how you think about compassion, then compassion works. It's not only an emotion, it is but it's something that, that moves. It leads to appropriate, helpful action. He saw the crowds, all the people, coming at him, coming at him, coming at him, and he felt inside of himself a deep concern for them and for what their issues all individually and all collectively were, and he moved to them to help, to help the crowds, it says, which is a small but I think Perhaps important point, because if we see this little point here, this is, in a way, a little bit of an aside, but if we see this point, it'll help us, I think, to engage with and maybe to not hold at arm's length. something that at least in the back of my mind kind of rises up. He sees the crowds. And as we just saw, if you recall, if you were here last week, you saw the very end of the last passage. The crowds were delineated from the Pharisees. The crowds had one response, and the Pharisees had another. This is important to realize. I first, I was really helped by first understanding this from theologian Joe Rigney. He kind of explained it's important to see two different groups here coming at Jesus. And that helps us realize Jesus' two different attitudes and responses towards them. Because the thing in the back of my mind is that, you know, I also know that Jesus also said, I know you're going to be talking about compassion. I see where you're going. But I also know, woe to you. That's Jesus too. (laughs) Sorry, whoever that was. (laughs) That's Jesus too. That's in the Bible often. Woe to you. So I I know you're going towards compassion, but I'm kind of like cautious. I'm not putting all my weight on that yet because there's something else here that you're skipping. Well, hear this. This is, I think, helpful, certainly helpful for me, really helpful for me to to realize I don't need to hold the compassion at arm's length. I need to realize we got two different responses that are two different groups of people. So, Rigney used this phrase. I'm not sure if it's original with him. We need to realize Jesus' woe, which is a pronouncement of judgment. That is Jesus, that is in the Bible, and that comes against woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. His term was the ambassadors of the world. You've heard that before. I've used it, I think. The amb- people who are the spokesmen of, who in some way or another are selling. They are deliberately, cleverly, thoughtfully, knowingly pushing an agenda. And it's an anti-Jesus, worldly agenda. It's deceptive, it's clever, it's, it's planned. It's the kind of thing like we just saw. Previous verse, he casts out demons by the prince of demons, so say the spokesman for the world. Never mind the evidence that nothing that Jesus says, nothing he does, no way he acts in any way whatsoever looks like it comes from the pit of hell. Never mind the evidence. We're going to say that anyway because we want to say and we want to lead you away from Jesus. We want to lead everybody. We want to reject him and lead you away from him. So he's doing it because he's working with Satan. And Jesus says to that, woe to you. Condemnation on that falsehood that is not just deceptive, but it's killing them. You lead them away. Woe to you, you ambassadors, you wolves. But the other group of people, by far the largest, are the crowds. And Rigney's term for them was the refugees from the world. Vulnerable, you might say harassed and helpless. Blown back and forth. Wandering, stray who knows which end is up kind of like sheep without a shepherd not wolves but sheep if you, if you happen to meet a wolf there is an appropriate posture towards them but by far most people that we will meet are in some way refugees are sheep they are the crowds so there is a place to put Jesus' statements and there is a place to speak with this kind of attitude. I think though we need to get that because some of us probably are a little bit too reflex towards, I want to tell the world what's up? You're talking to sheep. You're, you're talking to sheep. And I would suggest, Crowds means most people are there, sheep. By far, Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, scattered about, in all sorts of varying degrees of downtrodden affliction and vulnerability, troubled. Would be a natural way for sheep to be if they're left all on, the, on their own in the wild without a shepherd. It'd be normal. And that's the case. He saw all of them as not having the caring, protecting, guiding help of a good shepherd, and they were suffering for it, broken and lost in countless ways. For sure, a really large piece of that. A really large piece of that for any person is due to our sin. He preached the gospel of the kingdom and taught them. He addressed that also. From compassion is the point. He looked at them and saw them as broken and downcast, harassed and helpless, and realized their condition. It's because they don't have a shepherd leading them, and it broke his heart like it did that of God in the Old Testament. We should realize something as we read this passage. We, we hear this language here. And when you hear, like sheep without a shepherd, harass and helpless, you think of Matthew 9. But, of course, the people that, Jesus, that Matthew's writing to didn't think of Matthew 9. When he used that language, they thought of maybe like Ezekiel 34, where the Lord looks at his people and sees them suffering under bad shepherds in all kinds of way downcast and says, I myself am going to come shepherd them. That's Ezekiel 34. They need a shepherd, I myself will come do it. That lays out a big old marker there to be picked up later by someone named Jesus. Jesus. That's in the Old Testament. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That language is explicitly, so the image is in Ezekiel. That language is explicitly in the book of Numbers. Where the Lord appoints Joshua to be shepherd after Moses so that the people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. That's the language. He appoints a guy named Jesus. Jesus. That's Joshua. Yeshua is Jesus in another language. It's the same name. He appoints a guy named Jesus to be shepherd after Moses to lead people into the land of promised rest so they won't be harassed and elbows out of sheep of that shepherd. That's a big old marker to be picked up by somebody later. The connections here are unavoidable. The Old Testament's looking forward to a a good shepherd who will be God himself come to shepherd the people, who will lead them into rest, who's going to be named Yeshua. Jesus comes along and says, I see the affliction and I'm grieved and I myself want to step into it. You know what my name is? I want to step in and I want to help. I want to intervene because my heart has moved me towards them. If they need healing from affliction, I'm going to do that. If they need to know the truth about the kingdom, I'm going to tell them. If they need to understand the truth about their their sin, the the saving work of Jesus that they need, I'm going to tell them. That's the work that his heart moved him towards. Concern for all the broken and all the lost people who needed a shepherd That's who he is, and he wants very much to connect these two ideas in our minds, no matter who you are, every single one of us. You have a need, and I see it, and I'm the answer to it. You have a need to be led, to be protected, to be provided for, defended from all of your enemies. I myself will do it. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll lead you into rest. You need food and provision. I'll lead you to still water. You need protection from the wolves. I'll fight them off. Ultimately, the root of, of all of your problems is you are alienated from God. I'll take you back to Him, not just by teaching you what to do, but by going to the cross and removing the barrier. Come. We know what He did. We we understand some of the things about Him. And I'm rehearsing truths that are very familiar to most of us. The, the key from this piece right here, from this passage right here, is to see that what drove that was compassion. The heart of Jesus is compassionate. He hurts when he sees people hurting, and he wants to help them and move towards them. He's the answer to the need. And there is for sure clearly a message. If you're sitting here this morning or you're hearing this and you're not a Christian at the moment right now, there is a a wide-open, beautiful offer to you here. The Old Testament held out all all this need, laid out these markers, the promise of a shepherd, and here comes Jesus and says, "That's me." And then He says to you, "Here I am. You can go off and walk your own way if you want to. You will remain without a shepherd, vulnerable to the wolves, or you can come to me. Come under my authority." Come under my guidance, come under my hand, and what you will find is a good and gracious king. That's the offer. He's a king, he rules, but he rules in grace and mercy, in goodness, in tender, compassionate love. That's an offer to you. If you're not a Christian, an invitation to you, come. Lay aside all the trusting in yourself and in the trusting in your own wisdom and your own guidance and your own protection, your own provision. Lay all that aside and say, I can't. I've made a mess of it all. I hear that you offer to take me as yours and to lead me as my Lord. Yep, He does. Come to Him like that and He'll take you. Clearly, there's an offer there to the one who's not a Christian but I know most of us are here. Most of us are hearing this and you're actually pretty familiar with this passage and you understand some of the things about Jesus. So, okay, okay. Please do not, Christian, please do not stand as if over here with Jesus saying, yeah, that's really good for them. Jesus is the shepherd and all of us are the sheep. It's really good for all of us. You too. You don't ever cross out of needing to be shepherded by him. I think a lot A lot of my life, I, I find this the subtle thing at work. Like, I want to learn things. I want to grow and mature to get to a point where I can say, essentially, I do it myself. I'll take that. I got it. And if you're a kid growing up, that's appropriate to say, I'll do it. We're never meant to get that place, to get to that place with Jesus. We're never meant to become independent of Him. We are always to be under His shepherding hand. And the good news is, Christian, this is how he was and how he remains with you. His heart is still, vast and deep and wide and full of compassion for you eager to guide you, eager to protect you, eager to defend you, and always from a heart that is, it is not stern and angry and overbearing, but is in fact humble and gentle and lowly. This is his heart for you when you find yourself prone to wander and heading off into the hills and getting lost there's a good shepherd who wants you back and who will protect you and guide you. Come back to him. Yield to him. It's good guidance for us now, but I think, as so I'm moving towards the second point, I think it's more than just good guidance. There's something that a Christian needs to see of Jesus, to see this is Jesus towards me. How he was and how he promises always to be, a shepherd who will protect and defend and provide for me. That's an important piece that lays behind everything that's coming in the following chapters. As he sends us out into the world, it can feel like, uh-oh. But he's actually shepherding you as he sends you out. He's going with you and before you. It always under, you're always under his covering. Important to see that, I think, about him and his attitude towards you now as we move towards the second observation. So Jesus has a, a constant heart of, of big compassion for people. And second point, people have a great need to be shepherded by Jesus, so we must pray. People have a great need to be shepherded by Jesus, so we must pray. Verse 37, Jesus now speaks to his disciples. This is the the larger group of disciples, not just the 12 that he's going to call out in the very next passage. It's, It's a bigger group. And he says to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So, the Bible is using this imagery of, of harvest in, in many different places, and it means it's in different contexts. So there's nothing here about like when Jesus talks about the need to separate out weeds from the wheat, or when John the Baptist talks about the fire of judgment that's going to come and burn up the chaff. That's in other contexts, and that's not here. All that he says here is that the harvest is plentiful. He looks at the crowds, he looks at the world, and he sees many people ready to be gathered in. Many people ready to be brought to Jesus so as to be shepherded by him. Which means, if you think it through, many people who need to be introduced to Jesus, this this Jesus, the real one, to be informed about their need for him, to, to be helped to understand what all the harassed and helpless life is about. See, a lot of people, you're living through life and facing all kinds of difficulties and don't know where that comes from. So to, to explain that actually comes from being alienated from God, walking contrary to him, sin, that needs to be, those dots need to be connected for people. And then Jesus as the answer to that, as the way to be forgiven, as the way to find life, his provision of mercy and forgiveness, his provision of of spiritual life forever and and a connection to God where you can actually know the creator, the way that he fills life. People need to understand all that and and don't get it. So that needs to all be, be brought forward and people connected to that, connected to him Jesus. And not everybody's going to respond to that. Of course not. Not even, in fact, most. Most won't respond to that. But many will. The harvest is plentiful, not scarce. So, get out there and tell them about me. Go far and go near and tell people everywhere about me. The harvest is plentiful, they need to hear about me. Get out there and tell them. Is that what it says? I think, I'm trying to read the room here, not seeing a lot of enthusiasm. But to be honest, That's usually how I engage with this passage, too. A little bit of trepidation because... Oh, no. This is where he's going to tell me to get out there and tell everybody about Jesus because the harvest is plentiful. So everybody... Take a deep breath and look at the passage. That's not what he says. The harvest is plentiful. Not most, but many people are, are in a spot where to be connected to Jesus will matter for them. They will be brought to him. Many people. The need, the opportunity is very great. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest about his harvest. That's what he says. Stick with the analogy. Obviously, the, the owner of the harvest field, the, the, the landowner who, who owns all the things here, the, the laborers, the workers don't own anything. Just, they just work there. And what he's saying is, pray to the one who owns all this, who in fact is the Lord. It's obviously God's, he governs how and when and by what means the crop is gonna be harvested. So pray to him, pray earnestly to him. Pray for what? Well, lots of things we could pray for, sure. But what he says specifically, pray earnestly that God will send out laborers into his harvest, harvest workers or drop the analogy, ministers. Pray earnestly for God to raise up ministers, both capital M ministers and lowercase m ministers. We talked about this in other contexts. Capital M ministers would be people like the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles that he's going to call out next, people who in some way are set aside and gifted for some unique sort of ministry work. However, every single Christian is to be a minister with a lowercase m. We're all supposed to be engaged in the ministry, the service of the kingdom, in some way or another involved in connecting people who are lost to Jesus who is the savior. Somehow or another, everybody's got a part to play. Pray for that to happen. Pray for God to send out ministers, laborers, Or more literally, we could say, push out laborers. Thrust out, drive people into the harvest field, because the word there is actually a very strong word. It's more than just call them, it's effectually called, make it happen. So I'm to be praying, Lord, would you make it happen that your people move into the harvest, that your people become ministers. So what would make it happen? What should I pray for? Lord, make it happen. What would, what would I pray for? Well... When I put it like that, perhaps a few things pop in your mind because maybe you've heard this passage taught in other places. Maybe you've been to some evangelism seminars. Maybe you've been to some missions conferences. I've been to lots of those sorts of things, and I've heard this passage taught lots of different times in lots of different ways, so stuff pops into my mind. Maybe it pops into your mind too. Lord, send out laborers. Make it happen. Cause your people to see the scope of the harvest Millions and millions and millions of people, many of whom do not know the gospel, have, some of them have never heard the name Jesus. Cause your people to see that. Lord, cause your people to see, open their eyes, they would see the reality of judgment. The fact that death is coming and judgment is happening and hell is real And heaven is real. Cause your people to see the reality of what it's like to live forever alienated from God or forever in fellowship with him. Magnify in the minds and the hearts of your people the beauty of God and how sweet life with him is and how much his his glory is honored in the saving of people in Jesus. Cause them to value you, Lord. Cause them to see the eternality of eternal things and the temporality of temporal things. Cause them to see the smallness of all the American dream stuff that we live for and give our lives to. Cause us to be sold out not to money and stuff, but to the kingdom. That's real, Christian. Maybe some of that's the stuff that comes to your mind, and it, that is real, and it would be inappropriate for me not to mention that, and not to challenge you to stop and put your lives in front of that and think. This is the part that I don't like about the sermon, the part I knew was coming, and the part I go, oh, because you're going to tell me to stop thinking about the American dream and think about the kingdom. You're going to tell me that my goal of getting a little piece of land somewhere where I can move to all by myself and never see any human being yet ever again is wrong. (laughs) I knew it. And I'm telling you that. And I'm telling you that. Because God's telling you that that's all true and you got to put yourself in front of that and you got to think and you got to let the finger of God, if it will, compassionately, graciously poke you and say give up your small lives and your small ambitions and see the kingdom and see heaven and see hell. It's all real. So I have to put that in front of you and I have to compel you to think about it if I can and ask the Spirit of God to work those things, I said, I've heard all that, and it's been, over the course of my life, it's been a mix of conviction and encouragement, and it's partially why I'm standing here right now, and partially why I feel terrible about myself, like I'm wasting my life. Uh, yeah, everything. Because that's real, i got to put that out there, i got to face it myself, it's, it's real, it's been helpful to me and it's been really burdensome to me and overwhelming, and it can very easily leave you with a massive dose of compassion fatigue because all that's so real, it's so big, it's so heavy. I've, I've stood, maybe you've had this experience, I've, I've stood in, in some of the world's megacities and thought, statistically, there isn't another Christian in this whole city I've been in some places where 15 million person city in a country with 1,200 Christians. 1,200 Christians, 1,200 at the time at least. I heard a speaker one time saying, you know, there are buildings in America with congregations on a Sunday morning bigger than that. And this whole country doesn't have that many Christians in. Here's 17, 15, 16 million, who knows how many million people in this city. There's not another Christian in the whole town. And that can be, oh my goodness, overwhelming. And I want to tune it out. And just move on. And so if you tell me more of what I just told you, I just tune it out more because I can't handle it. So there's something else here. I'm supposed to pray for God to send out laborers in the harvest. And I asked, what would send us out? And I just recounted some of the things that are true, that are useful, that are important. But the passage bothered to tell us something actually different. If you notice. All the stuff I mentioned is not in the passage. What's in the passage is, let me put it this way, what moved Jesus into the harvest? Compassion. He had compassion on them. That's what drove him. All the other stuff, I'm sure, drove him. And he's God. It's why he came, of course. But the thing specifically mentioned here, right before he tells us to pray, come on, Right before he tells us to pray, the thing that moved him was compassion. Not just the facts that people are lost. Not just the facts that people haven't heard about him. But compassion, an actual heart attitude that is grieved and concerned. That people don't know the shepherd. And are harassed and helpless. What a predicament. I can easily get angry at the wolves. I, I work at that level. I don't have much emotion naturally. I, I, I work at this level up here with truth, and I can easily get angry at the wolves and the false message. But he, he pokes me in a, in a harder way, and maybe he pokes some of us in a harder way when he says, I'm actually after not just the facts, I'm actually after your heart. Do you care about them? I want to make you like me, not just know the facts. I want to make you like me and have the heart to care. That's what committed laborers in this field look like. Christ-like compassion. I I find I, I come to this and I think, oh, that's interesting, because that relieves. That relieves a lot of the compulsion and it says, Lord, would you make my heart something different? And when you make it like that, I actually want to move. Will you make my heart merciful and loving? And when I love people, I want to And the command to give up your small ambitions feels instead like I want to set aside anything that would stand in the way of me helping you. I think genius, that's why this is first. Because the command stuff is going to come and that's challenging, that's hard. But the first Pray that the Lord would send people out like Jesus went out, full of compassion for sheep, harassed and helpless. Lord, shape my heart to be like that. Please, pray like that. Pray for laborers like that. Pray for yourself first. And pray for others then. To have a heart like Jesus, a Christ-like compassion. When we step towards people, we will step towards people because it will be from love. And it will also feel like it is from love because it is from love. It will not feel like we have made people into a project. It will feel like we're loving them because we are. And that will tell them the truth about a good shepherd. Because that's his attitude towards them too. And when we come to tell them the news, not... Not just all positive, but the news about sin and the call to repentance. Uh, Will everybody embrace that? No. We can't persuade people to embrace that. No. Most won't. But it will feel like, because it will be, it'll feel like news told from hope rather than news told from a gotcha. I'm right, you're wrong. We should want to represent him like that. It's who he is. And we will be more moved to represent him like that as we pray that God shapes our heart like that and as we see, again, that's how he is for you too. He's still that way for you which means that he's gonna shepherd you through the whole process. He's not gonna send you out by yourself and wherever you meet hardship or loss or shortage in the process, he'll provide what you need to fill up the gaps. He'll be enough for you. You can trust him in that way. He's a good shepherd for you still. People have a great need to be shepherded by Jesus. So we should pray for Christ-like, compassionate ministers who will point people towards him. For yourself first, and then for others. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Lord, send out laborers into your harvest. Let me pray. Father, There's a lot that is, in different ways, uncomfortable about all this for me. Maybe for others here too. So would you please draw near to shepherd us? To shepherd us towards what's right. Each one of us are different. We're in different spots. To shepherd us towards what's right to shape our hearts and our minds with the truth. Will you point out for us maybe in a fresh way your tender compassion towards us? Your trustworthiness? The fact that you're for us in love? Point that out for us. And then will you open our eyes in some new ways to see people like that like you see them? Will you grow in me, my brothers and sisters here, in your church in general? Will you grow in us hearts of compassion? Right, balanced compassion that, that speaks the truth but speaks it in love, that speaks of the kingdom and, and teaches the gospel to people, teaches the, the scriptures to people and preaches the gospel to them like you did, but does so from compassion. We need your help with this, so please shape us, grow us up. Start with me. Or maybe we have things we need to repent of. Even even right now, would you lead your people in repentance if needed? But I think more, Lord. Please change our hearts. Soften us. We trust ourselves to you. We're grateful that you are our good shepherd. Build your church. Thank you, Lord.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org